to episode 52 of the Winning Six podcast, the official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, Sites Editor-in-Chief, Adam McGee, and joining me this week, we have regular contributor, Jordan Tresky, and making his Winning Six debut, we have Mike Helm. I'm going to lead off with this because I forgot it last week, and seeing as Mike is here, it only seems fitting. We've, we've spent God knows how many weeks of the season running through predictions, You've all heard about this mythical Mike Helm figure who just wipes the floor with all of us in terms of predictions. Well, we never ran through the final leaderboard, so we better do that now. I do have another agenda for this. This isn't all about just giving Mike his, his well-earned praise. You'll, you'll see that in a minute. But season finished up. Mike in first place, a 58-win season for Mike. 58-24 and 24 was his record. It's going to be tough to top that next year. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. 786-point differential, which is also the best points differential, so Mike wins all around, basically. Second place, we had Jordan, 52-30, and 30 with a... 882 point differential, the worst yeah. point differential for Jordan. What really, <laughs> what really matters? Don't interrupt me now, Jordan. Oh, sorry. <laughs> In third place, a 49 and 33 is me. I had a 794 point differential, but most importantly, I was ahead of 48 and 44 Ty Windish. You might have noticed Ty isn't here this week. We'll forgive him. Whether it's this week or next week, Ty might have something special in store for you over on the other podcast. So be sure to keep an eye out for that. Listen out closely. It will be worth it if everything goes to plan. If it doesn't, once again, don't hold me accountable. It's not my fault. We're going to get into it now. This week's podcast is... I guess a little bit different, as in it has an actual structure. Um, we're not just going to wing it and go from subject A to subject B. This is the Winning Six Awards show. You might have seen... I tweeted about it a few days ago, and you'll definitely see it, any of you who read our work over the next couple of weeks, but we have done a staff ballot across, I suppose, many of the key issues, our big questions, 
about the books from this season and we're going to be unleashing all sorts of content rounding that up what we're going to do with this podcast we're going to run through our, the sort of key awards the players who got votes or consideration from our staff and then who myself Jordan and Mike actually vote for so as good as a place as any to start is MVP voting I can't remember exactly how many people I put on the ballot for this but I know only two players got votes and they were Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton I don't know if I should ask both of you who you voted for or if I should just say just in case just in case anyone has forgotten their vote or changed their mind we confident that we uh, let's, come on, let's ask we'll see how strong your convictions are Jordan who is your MVP I believe I went with Chris Middleton uh, I know I did would go with Chris Middleton um, I think I mean, you can make a case for Giannis very easily, and what he did this late, latter half of the year was very good, obviously. But I just feel like, from what we saw around the whole kid going on the sidelines because of hip surgery, Joe Perkey coming in, that's when Chris Middleton really took off after kind of not a slow start, but just kind of you know getting feeling his way through the season still. And uh, I just felt like his impact. I mean, if you, I mean, we talked about before, like his clutch time minutes. It didn't it wasn't a hundred percent all the way, but it was like ninety eight percent of the time. Chris Milton was on the floor when the game was on the line. Um, and just you know, their defense wasn't that good, but this year. But when Milton was on it, he kind of kept everything together, kept it afloat before you know the second unit came in, or if it was. Mon- Monroe and Plumley at the time, or Plumley starting and Monroe coming off the bench, that you know kind of uh, made its impact that way. But I-, I don't know. I just feel like for what he was, and this may be <laughs> going by valuable more than anything else. I just felt like everything. The reason why the Bucks had success this year, and it wasn't that much, was because of Chris Middleton's presence uh, on the floor. Mike. Can you remember who you voted for for MVP? I believe I took Middleton as well. You did. Yeah. <laughs> what was your What was your reasoning for going with Middleton over Giannis? Uh, in addition to what uh, Jordan said, um, they really with this roster, there's nobody that replicated what Middleton could do. I mean, as far as shooting consistently, um, there were guys they had hopes for but didn't ever actually do it. Um, and I think we saw we just like towards the end of the season that I, I believe it was like a three-game stretch with Middleton out, and it was just like, oh, gosh, like there's no there's no movement. There's no, you know, it was, especially offensively, it was just, it was rough to watch. Um, and I do think, it, not knocking Giannis, uh, he, he made incredible steps. I, I really loved watching him this year. Uh, he could do that, though, with Middleton in the game or out, uh, I mean, he uses his like ridiculous physical, you know, attributes, and he can you know take two steps to get to the hoop anytime he wants. But um, what Middleton was doing really wasn't replicated by anybody else in the roster. So he's to me, that's that's the most valuable guy. 
yeah, not to make this boring very early on, but I also went with Chris Middleton. Um, don't let that deceive you to thinking that, oh, well, this is a landslide. The whole staff went with Chris Middleton. They didn't. It just so happens that the three of us gathered here, the three, I'm going to say the three wisest members of the Behind the Book past uh, have all gone with Chris Middleton. Um, my reasoning for it would be very much in line with what both of you said. I think one of the key parts that Jordan touched on, I wrote about earlier in the season, but clutch minutes in particular. It's like no one else before Giannis really hit a stride could carry this team or keep them going like Middleton could. Prior to his injury, he had played in every Bucks clutch minute bar one on the season, um, which was something like, we'll say, 50 or 60 minutes more than the next closest to him, which was Greg Monroe, which is a completely crazy total. Uh, aside from that, it sort of gets overlooked because maybe his improvements weren't quite as explosive as Giannis's were towards the end of the year. Middleton's own growth year on year is really impressive. I think if anyone had offered before the start of the season that we were going to see him jump to, and I think he finished around 18 points per game score, I don't think there's a Bucks fan who would have turned their nose up at that. That was that was a real win for, for the Bucks. It was a win for Middleton. And even more something you consider bizarre to think about now, but after he signed the contract, he started the season slightly slow. There was a real thing. I'm glad to say I don't feel like anyone on our side ever went near it, but definitely on Twitter during Bucks games, there was, oh, why did they give Middleton the contracts? Well, he's he's not worth <laughs> five years, 14 million. It's, of course he is. Of course he is, and he proved that. Um, it's one of those things, and we've talked about it in terms of maybe players who are on the books now. I know it's a conversation that's come up a lot for us in regards to Bayless, Jordan. Part of this might be that Middleton is more valuable to the books than he would be to many other teams because his two greatest strengths, as in his shooting and his defense, happen to be two of the biggest areas of weakness for Milwaukee. So that is, I think, a big reason why when he was off the floor, things just fell apart, and the numbers show it. There's not, there's not a lot you can go and look at that's going to give you any indication that the books even held their own without him. So, without grabbing the highlights like Yanis did, like Jabari even did in the latter half of the season, Middleton was the guy who tied everything together, kept it all at as even a kilos as possible for this really, really strange book season. And I, I think moving forward, that's going to be even more important. He's going to be one of the guys who can set the tone. And who knows, maybe there's more improvement there. Even if Middleton is what he is now, I think it's something that we'd all be very comfortable in saying is a really valuable weapon, a valuable asset for the books in the long term, and exactly the sort of complementary piece you want next to Yadis and Jabari. So I think that factors into it. I guess to talk on Yanis a little bit, because just because the three of us have picked Middleton doesn't mean it's not close. Um if the question was, who was the book's best player this season? Do I do you think you'd change on that? Is the value side of it swaying everyone in the, the Middleton direction? Or hmm. I don't think I would change it if it was 
you know, best player. Because I, I think, you know, it's easy to forget about this, but you could have made a case that he deserved to be an all-star. And he certainly had this you know, ramping up to uh, all-star weekend, which got him in, you know, the three-point contest. But, you know, I mean, this is <laughs> all this. It, we're just, you know, voting on who we think is best player, most valuable player, or all this stuff. Giannis obviously had a very terrific season. And more importantly, he found a new way to, like, really contribute in a way that I don't think anyone really imagined heading into the season. So that, I mean, that in itself is more big to where the Bucks go in the future. But in terms of the season, I just feel like Milton, and like this last year too, after the Brandon Knight trade, he was like this steady presence for them who at times where, you know, th if things were going, they went through Milton. <laughs> sometimes great, sometimes a little frustrating, but it was – for a good reason, because he can close out, you know, games, uh, you know, shooting the ball, going to the post, all this stuff. And like you said, he really grew over the season that it kind of got overshadowed by all this Poignanis and Jabari coming off of, you know, his ACL, all that stuff, and coming back in a big uh, major way after the All-Star break. So I think I would still stick with Milton as best player, um, all things considered, too. For me, I think it's it's closer for us to change the best player. Um, Giannis might just shade it because that second half of the season he had wasn't just great in some sort of disastrous Milwaukee Bucks season bubble. I mean, those five triple-doubles were genuinely something pretty special. They don't necessarily always equate to, to victories, but at the same time, it was historically rare company for him to be in as a book, and even on the season, he was right in the upper echelon. So, trying to think of guys who had more triple doubles, you're talking Draymond, well, Westbrook, Westbrook. Is that it? I think he had more for LeBron. Maybe Butler only had like two or three, right? Yeah, I feel I feel like he might have been third. I could be wrong on that. I'd be open to correction, but I've, he'd be there or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. that's very impressive and then of course it has to be factored in how Giannis changed his role and adjusted with that as well that's something that as remarkable as it is on the surface to think about it in an even deeper sense the fact that he had to make those changes sort of on the fly mid-season makes them all the more impressive again it is an interesting mm -hmm. point that you raised there in terms of Brandon Knight was the guy for a significant chunk of last season, I suppose, right up to he was traded. And then Middleton once again had to be the one who sort of came in and carried a little bit more. And it's funny how he just sort of comes in and out of those situations. I don't know if either you saw it at the, in the exit interviews. Charles Gardner, the journalist, Antle, made, made fun of him sort of for the Middleton quote prior to the season was that he didn't want to be sort of the first option or the guy and that's kind of what happened. The Middleton laughed about it, and he said, yeah, I'll probably say the same next season, but I'll just sort of take it as it comes and we see what happens. And that says so much about him, because he is. He's two seasons in a row now where that's exactly what he's done. He doesn't go and look for that to be his role, but if it has to be, he'll take it on. And that's so valuable, particularly in the, the really low-key way he brings that to the team. I mean, a lot of... 
lot of players maybe wouldn't they wouldn't like their role to fluctuate quite as much, but that ego isn't there for Middleton. It's just all about winning. And in ultimately that, that shows in his play and it definitely benefits the books. Moving on from MVP, we go to most improved player. We have three players who picked up votes across the staff. We have Giannis, Jabari, and Middleton. All three of us went for Giannis. So once again, we have all, we've all agreed, don't turn off yet. There'll be disagreement later. I promise you on that one. Someone someone has ensured with their picks that we'll have stuff to debate. Um, is this one as simple as the jump Giannis made was so significant that you can't really look past them? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, he did he did Lee wide impressive stuff. So, I, you know, for me, it was pretty easy, you know, that, that he was the guy that really took the biggest step forward. Same for you, Jordan? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't really add. I, basically, what I said, like, how, you know, his whole role, point Giannis or whatever, just being the ball handler and, it, you know, them sticking with it and it working all the triple doubles, all this stuff. Uh, I, I really just didn't envision that at all this year, and I thought when it kind of came back around, I was like, oh, here we go again, kind of thing. You know, we've heard this so many times already. And then uh, it actually worked. <laughs> so, uh, and again, that's not a, just like Jabari's second half, because he really put up fantastic numbers, and probably more than he should because considering everything with his ACL and all this stuff, being only, what, 14 months now, 15 months since he had surgery, and he was playing like 30 minutes a year, or minutes a year, uh, three minutes a game. Not in the books. No one in the books gets to play 30 minutes a year, except... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and Steve Novak for... Oh, that's cold, Jordan. <laughs> Well, it's <laughs> unfortunately true. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Just his growth, too, was, you know, very sudden and very surprising. Of course, we really liked to see that from where he was uh, prior. I know all of it was sort of out of the blue, as in he took his game to a level that was so much higher than he'd been playing at before. So. It, it, it makes it really easy to sort of pinpoint him as the most improved player, but if we're to sort of narrow in on that a little bit more, what was the aspect of his play that most surprised you in terms of the progress he made this year? Is there anything in particular that stands out to you, Mike? I, I guess I was most, most pleased with uh, his aggression on offense. Um, j- just really uh, realizing that Physically, there's really not anybody like him. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of tall dudes in the league, but that combination with his court vision, which we had seen some of before, putting that all together and then his just kind of desire, his want to, to just take it to the hole and really force defenses to adapt to him, that was, that was what I really what really excited me in his game. Um, and then if the jumper comes on top of that, then I'll be... Whoo, yeah. And even on top of that, 
a big part of that was we used to have these question marks over his confidence. He'd say these things, particularly in related to his shot, and you'd worry that his confidence was fluctuating just a little bit too regularly. I know I I wrote a piece, maybe it was the start of the season, maybe it was late last season about it, but it felt like no one was sort of putting a handle on that and regulating it, where it was just like, Yannis, don't worry about it. This is part of what the NBA is. You're going to have your ups and downs. But that's why the aggression in particular was a big jump and a big step for him to take because to have that confidence on a nightly basis where I can go out, I can attack, whether it's going to be in terms of scoring, whether it's in terms of setting up my teammates, I'm capable of just going and taking this game by the scruff of the neck and shifting the outcome one way or the other. That was so detached from what we've seen in the past. I don't feel like nothing he showed us in terms of skills was new as in we didn't see it possible at all. It just feels like a lot of maybe best case scenario things we got glimpses of. And all along it might have been the mental side of his game as much as anything. Of course, physically he improved a lot. We saw the difference when he came back after the off season in terms of how in shape he was, how much stronger he looked. That made a big difference, but a lot of that seems to be mental for Giannis, and that definitely paid off this season. Okay. What about for you, Jordan? Was there anything in particular that surprised you in terms of how he made the leap from last year to this year? Um, I don't think you can, I mean, I think one thing that, and it's not like a... Uh, massive thing, but just the fact that he cut down on turnovers um, and and even, like, you know, follow, his following got, you know, it wasn't even a, a storyline with him by the end of the season. You know, for someone who did eventually, he did end up leading the league in fouls, I felt like maybe he, I, I, I don't know the exact number, but it was not a, a storyline or a thing rolling around Giannis and making mental mistakes like you said, like it just like completely disappeared and along with the turnovers, um, it was really surprising to see like we always knew that, you know, Giannis if he just gets a if he rebounds the ball, goes in transition, all that stuff. He knows how to set up teammates, he obviously knows how to score himself. But to do that on a regular basis when you're playing like what, thirty five minutes a night and you're routinely or not routinely but Making a lot of you know triple double games or even high assist games, high rebound games, all this stuff. To do that at a volume, uh, at a volume rate and not to turn over the ball is really astounding. And you know, Mike Carter Williams certainly has flaws, and one of his biggest flaws was turning over the ball. It it seemed like as the season went on, and maybe. <laughs> Not so coincidentally, at the time when MCW got hurt, unfortunately, and had to be out for the season, the Bucks' turnovers weren't that big of a problem. In my eyes, I could totally be wrong, but it just felt like that whole aspect really disappeared over the course of the season, and that was really impressive to, to me, at least. That's, yeah, that definitely stood out, and I think one part of that was, I don't know if it held true right to the end of the season, but with his turnovers in particular, didn't they go down after he took on the point guard role? Yeah. Which, like, specifically when he did it, too. I mean, 
it that just goes against all logic. It's <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It just shouldn't be something that happens. But when he was sort of I don't left to make his own decisions and he was fully in control, that's what happened. Uh, I don't know what that says. Maybe that says even more about his basketball IQ than we would have seen before. That when he's the guy who's maybe two, three steps ahead of the play, where he's calling it to begin with. Well, he's even more in control, and he can see the dangers maybe a little bit better. Everything is just easier for him, and that's once again so rare. It's nice that we've got to that point because for a long time, and it's still relevant. But Yanis was this this body basically he was this freak of nature where it's like all his physical attributes were what really gave him the potential to be special where we've seen so much more of him in terms of a basketball skill sense as that marriage between the two between his physicality and his skills that's really going to give him the potential to be a special player in the league and the signs are that it's sort of tying it together Anyan has been most improved. How do you guys feel about the potential for him to take another step next year? Is it if he manages a season where he plays close to a level that he did for, say, his stretch with the ball in his hands? Would that be big progress, managing to maintain that and average in the region, I suppose, of if it's 18, 7, and 7 even? Would, would that feel like big progress if he managed that? Obviously, that's an incredible season. Or is there a particular aspect of his game that we feel like he can and should be looking to kick on further in? I think with, uh, kind of to Jordan's point earlier, um, that he was arguing if he had played, or let's say if he plays the first half of this next season, the way he played the second half of this last season, I think he'll be an all-star for sure, just based on the coaches, maybe not the fan vote. But I think the coaches would take a look and like, what what do you do with this guy? How do you how do you stop him? You know. So I, I think in the public's eye, for sure, he would take a step up being an all star. Um, I guess the biggest thing that I think is lacking as far as the team goes is is defensive issues and also, but specifically like communication. So maybe taking a step that way, maybe being the guy that calls out plays or you know like helps direct the defense. Maybe he can be that guy. I think that would be a, a gigantic step that might not be noticed by all, but certainly by by us that pay attention to the games. Um, I think it would be really fantastic if he did maintain what he was doing uh, in the second half of the year. But I feel like it's and I it's just I like everything with the Bucks we talked about. If he just doesn't have a at least a consistent three-point shot, then it's, it's going to be really not hard for teams to defend, but uh, I just feel like he needs to get better at that in order to be even more of a weapon. He's already very dangerous now, but like everybody has already, you know, we keep hearing like John, Johnny Mack or, you know, Marcus Johnson, all these guys, even players, like if you add a jump shot, he'll be dangerous. And it's like, he, well, he already is, but he came to be more like you know. He just realizes or touches upon uh, just came better that way. He, you know, it's gonna be gonna be something to watch. Is the whole jump shooting debate though? Is that something we just sort of 
unfairly pass on to Giannis because no one else in the team can shoot. Is mm-hmm. it the burden he's carrying of no one other than Middleton being able to make shots? Like, really, the ideal scenario for Giannis isn't that he is the shooter. You want him to be doing other things. You want him to be driving. You want him to be dishing to the shooters. So is that somewhere that, where the books might end up being, and that's maybe a sign of a summer that hasn't got the plan, where you really need him to amp that up, up to a whole new level? Or should the main focus be, well, if they can get, say, whatever direction they decide to go with this, if it's another point guard or a wing that they add to the starting lineup, if they get someone who's a really strong shooter, who knows, maybe they mix things up at centre, add a big who can shoot as well. I mean, in that sort of scenario, you'd have three shooters without Jabari and Giannis, and anything else they'd give you would be sort of found money. I mean, is is that a balance that maybe we don't see? Obviously, if he has... A three-point shot, he's almost a complete player. But should they be forcing him in that direction in terms of development? Or is it a better idea for them to actually address the holes in the roster and find the solutions that way? Hmm. I mean, judging by, you know, what we talked about last week and all the eggs that are used, I feel like that was like the plan this year. Um, You know, trying to fill in you know, obvious flaws of the roster, like with shooting. It's what we were yeah. being told was the plan, anyway. The great, the great plan. But it does, I mean, but it does have some merit, though. It does, it but does. maybe not as much as they want us to believe. We'll put yeah. <laughs> but I just feel like the way and this kind of touches on with the whole with Middleton's clutch I minutes. I felt like even though. <laughs> I felt like he did make some progress. He didn't, you know, put up the greatest clutch type minutes. And every out of timeout play, if it was, you know, Bucks are down by one, or, or for example, or you know, twenty seconds left or something, everybody knew Milton was getting the ball. And mm-hmm. I, I just feel like if you, if say, if you want to make him, Giannis is already. I feel like he can already be a good, you know, clutch time guy already because he. His post moves, you know, driving to the basket, all this stuff, or even finding other teammates for that matter. It, he has that down, but if he wants to take the final shot or whatever, he just has to get an outside shot. And it's, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think it's a matter of life or death or anything like that by any means. But it just <laughs> would make their offense more developed and free flowing where. It's always like, oh, last two minutes and knowing where someone's going. It's like, oh, we, what can we do there? Even in those scenarios, I feel like it would be a little bit different next season, though, as the whole point Giannis phenomenon is fairly widely recognized around the league. Now people know exactly the threat he poses. So in that sort of situation, in the past, I don't know if you could feel comfortable putting the ball in Giannis' hands to make the play happen. So it had to go to Middleton, and Middleton either had to make the play for someone else or for himself. Where now I sort of feel like you can give it to Giannis, go, okay, you're going to go to work. If you get any sort of clean look to drive to the rim, defense is going to collapse, you could draw a double team, and all of a sudden you have an open man, and that's where maybe you could find Middleton if it's him, or you can swing the ball. I kind of feel like that might make it even easier for Middleton, and of course if you add another shooter in there, even better again. 
I don't know. I, I see your point. Definitely it's something he needs to improve on. Although, I don't know, say for the last month of the season, I'm not sure exactly what he shot. Let me have a look now. But he was shooting pretty well. Yeah. I mean, he was shooting at a level that if he could do it consistently, I don't think you'd have any complaints. It would be near perfect. I want to say both him and Jabari finished with the same or the exact same three-point percentage. For the season? For the season. I don't know if attempts or makes were the same, but I feel like it was like very close to being the Well, Giannis shot 25.7% on the season, and that rounded out with 45.5% on 3.1 attempts per game for April. So for the mm. seven games in April... He was actually shooting far, far beyond where we could ever really dream of him. I mean, if he was a forty-five percent three-point shooter, it's game over. And let's just check on Jabari for his three-point percentage. Jabari, yeah, you're right, twenty-five point seven percent again. So it is, I guess, another five percent each from both of those guys. If they both got over thirty, that's a big help to begin with. There's just you sort of have to give them a little bit of respect, and they were both mm. trending up towards the end of the season, so it's not impossible. The one other guy I want to talk about because he did get some votes in this category is Jabari. How real or how significant was the improvement from last year to this year? If we take Jabari November through mid-December last season. Mm as opposed to, say, the second half, post-All-Star break, or after that now-infamous Celtics game this year. <laughs> is there still a massive difference all round, or in multiple areas, do you feel, or are we viewing him through the prism of he sort of dipped off so low coming back from injury that to see him return to form was a big bonus? I'm more inclined to to agree with that, um, with the just the thought that we saw we were able to see a full season out of him and kind of improvement as the season went. I, I didn't. I was pleased with him. Um, he has his defensive issues, which are not a surprise. But I, I saw again, kind of. I don't want to keep repeating myself, but like it kind of saw some more assertiveness out of him as well as the season went on, which is great. It's awesome. I love it. Um, but I, I didn't really think that, like, oh, man, he's so much better than the short time that he played last year. It's still, at this point, I think he's getting healthy. I think we're probably going to see a, a bigger jump, and I'm hoping, obviously, a much bigger jump next year compared to this year even. Jordan? Yeah, I would say it was more of, like, working off his base. You know what I mean? A lot of things were, well, he wasn't... Weirdly, I think coming out of college, people weren't saying, "Oh, this is this guy is a very explosive, explosive, explosive uh, athlete." Uh, explosive hashtag explosive. People uh, will hashtag that if anyone knows that people will hashtag things. It's you, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Wait, no, I'll uh, cut it. I'll cut in there. I'll interrupt you for a second. <laughs> Those of you who have been following. The Lady in the Water saga for the last, <laughs> I'm going to say, three weeks as we've tried desperately <laughs> to the water. 
we have an update. We had... I'm going to say we had three Lady in the Water maybes, which didn't quite clinch it. We didn't ask for that. We asked for Lady in the Water yes. So, I mean, saying maybe and not being really sure if you want to see it, that's that's not going to get it done. But we did have a winner. We, we had an emphatic Lady in the Water, yes, um, from Cheyenne Schultz. Oh. And Lady in the Water will be... I'm gonna hope en route to Cheyenne by the time this goes out should be should be there soon afterwards. Signed by Jordan Tresky as promised. Um, <laughs> our first win in six giveaway. I don't know if we can promise. Many <laughs> Is that more. even books related whatsoever? It's just that's, that seems appropriate. I mean, yeah. I don't know what else Jordan has two of in his house. Maybe. Maybe he's got other things that he's got duplicates of, further giveaways, but yeah. Lady in the Water, yes. It's found the home. <laughs> no, no joke, when you started saying Cheyenne Schultz, I thought you were going to say M. Night Shyamalan. I was like, oh, <laughs> yes, we're saying copy of his own movie, oh my god. It would, that would make sense. I mean, maybe Cheyenne needs to prove to us. I, uh, I don't know, it could, could be M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> who else? Who else really wants another copy of Lady in the Water? Not even M Night Shyamalan. I don't know. So we believe. Anyway, you had your Barry Parker thoughts, Jordan. I just thought, had to interrupt for that important news update. <laughs> no worries. Um, where was I? I? Oh yeah, I said exclusive. Hashtag exclusive. Don't forget. Yeah. Um, coming out of college. It wasn't like everybody expecting him to become like this explosive athlete, or you know, it was more about his versatile scoring, the ways he could uh, score one on one or three pointer, post all that stuff. And I feel like he did, he did get better as as the season went on. His like mid range jumper, you started him seeing him hit more shots and stuff. But the big thing with like just his, you know. Dunking like what I think I saw a stat where it was like one he dunked one point five dunks per game or something this year something crazy um, I just think it, I I don't know I didn't really have any expectations of, of his performance coming into the season because of where he was and to see him even reach where he was as a rookie and even kind of show some growth, even if it was in the same, you know, boxes of what everybody expected him coming out of college. I think that's a big, you know, victory, quote-unquote, uh, in itself, just because you never, you didn't, we didn't really know what he would look like other than seeing six second vines and stuff like that during the offseason of him, like, you know, looking or something. Um, so it was very. I was very pleased with the, what I saw from Jabari by the other year. I feel like he was a little bit better, just a small bit better than he was maybe pre-Christmas. I mean, when he was able to start stringing twenty-point games together, that was something we hadn't quite seen. We'd seen the potential for that, but not necessarily the consistency. And second half of the season, he definitely found that. Even the closing games. The way he was getting comfortable, say, with the corner tree, we all know probably by now that Jabari doesn't like three-pointers. Um, he's made that very clear to us all. But 
<laughs> so be it. He he took the shots and he, he made quite a few of them down the stretch of the season. Uh, I I don't know. It's far too early to say this sort of thing, but I think Jabari could be pretty well positioned for a most improved player run for the whole NBA next year. I think he's got the right sort of the name recognition, the injury comeback. He had a good season this year, which has put him in position, but it wasn't so good as people are going to be on top of it, as in that he's really solid right now. If we could see the Jabari we saw second half of this season over the entire year next year, I'd say he could be right there in the picture for that. So that would be fun. Um, it's nice us having our own little behind-the-book pass awards. Be even better if we got some books in actual NBA award races and we didn't have to put up this whole charade. <laughs> I'm not complaining. Yeah, with a, touching on what you said, uh, uh, what you said last week too, just in Jabari's exit interviews, how he he hates losing. So I, I have no doubt that he's going to just you know work his tail off in the off season and really really do his best to improve. So he's he's got that mindset that I you know. As a Bucks fan, I'd love to see, and I uh, want nothing but the best for the guy. I still feel, and I said this way back, obviously, before Yanos had his big jump, I was one of those from even back before the start of the season, I felt Jabari, in the long term, was still going to be the most dominant guy if this team was going to reach its peak. I still mm. sort of feel that way. Yanis might do... I don't want to say a little of everything, because realistically, he'd probably do a lot of everything but Jabari does have the potential still to be one of the best scorers in the league. There's a certain ease to how he can do it. And definitely in the closing run, I'm sure, Bodo, you noticed this, but the amount of games where Jabari had done nothing and you'd look up and he had 20 points in the third quarter, or 20 points sort of midway through the fourth, and you're like, that's weird. He's been really quiet, but there you go. That's a really good night. That's, that's no accident. That's a scorer's instinct coming true. And for this team in particular, with maybe some of their weaknesses, although we hope they'll get the right pieces slotted in around that, so it won't be a problem, I still think that's going to be really important. I have a better idea of where Yanis will end up, I think. I, I know pretty well, I feel, where Middleton will end up. Jabari is the one where maybe the question mark is still the biggest, but if he reaches his full potential, I don't think there's anyone more important to the books than him. I don't know if either of you have any feelings on that. It's I know with how unique Yanis is, it's not necessarily the most popular opinion at the moment. I just feel like if Yanis is doing so much in terms of passing or if it's rebounding, whatever, if it's not just scoring, the books are going to need someone else to put the ball in the basket. At the moment, they don't have a center who's going to be doing that long term. Hmm. So... They need an inside score. If Middleton's going to be the perimeter score, they need an inside score outside of Giannis. And Jabari seems to be that guy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I kind of still feel that way too. And a lot of the things, it may not to be the degree of where Giannis is already, but I, I still feel that Jabari himself could be that kind of playmaker that Giannis is. Maybe more of a secondary playmaker now that we have seen you know, this job from Giannis, but he still has a very good passing vision and knows how to make the right plays at the right time. 
and he's certainly unselfish. You know, there are many times this year where like, oh, you see him break away for a basket, and he might defer to to one of his teammates or something like that. And it may not have been the right decision at the time or whatever, but that stuff, it's good to have that long term. You can't sometimes you can't just teach a, a player like that, unfortunately. Um, but in this case, we're it's good to see him kind of be more than just you know a score or be just a playmaker sometimes and uh, I think that I think that's a, a thing that we'll start to see over the course of next year his growth as a playmaker and try to make plays for other guys more routinely that uh you know hopefully worth you know gets assists or scoring plays all that stuff and if the books don't. I don't want to tempt fate with this, but if they don't get free agency right and get in veteran guys, I think Jabari's going to have to be the leader on this team. So that's a pretty significant role. That a lot of not a lot of people talk about, but we've talked about just how much he cares, and he showed that in his exit interview. I don't know if there's anyone else in the team who quite matches that, and in that sense, he might need to drag them along with him a little bit. Um, not leave them behind or surpass them, whatever whatever the quote was exactly, but if you could drag them <laughs> along with them, that would be great. Moving on. We've done MVP, we've done most improved. Defensive player of the year. We had... <laughs> Mike's laughing already. We had four players get defensive player of the year votes. Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Miles Plumley, and who was the fourth player to get Defensive Player of the Year votes, Mike? That would be Jonathan James Henson. I don't know if that's his middle name, but it sounded right. <laughs> Jordan will verify. Jordan knows every book's... I think it's Alan. Uh, Jordan Good. genuinely knows all the book's middle names. It worries me a little bit. I don't... It's... Um, well, usually I just look it up on Wikipedia. It's, and then just... uh, yeah, that was too... That was way too quick for you to have got to Wikipedia, but you are right. It's John Allen Henson. Um, yeah. you, you better go first in this one, Mike. Sell us on John Henson, who missed 20 games in a row, was it? Around that. Sell, sell us yeah. on him as Defensive Player of the Year. I, I think he, just from what I've watched, he has the best shot-blocking instincts uh, on the team. Now, I mean, instincts and execution are one thing, and, and there were there are times that I guess I'll compare him to uh, Hassan Whiteside. If you watch, kind of, if you watch the playoffs or whatever, he will try to hunt a block, and it's almost at the detriment of other things that happen. You know, like he'll he'll go way too far to try to block a shot, and sometimes it totally sacrifices the team defense. So there are those issues. Um, but with this team specifically, and kind of the issues that I saw with Monroe, um, even Plumley sometimes. Plumley really tries hard, but he won't get there all the time, you know. And I think Henson has the. Honestly, my vote might have been an optimistic one, in hopes that this is what I see, what I hope to see out of Henson at some point. I I think he has the best defensive instincts as far as a low post guy goes. He has, for a center, physical issues to combat, and that he's like rail thin. Um, but I I think for right now, that's on this team, he is the probably the best rim protector, the, the best, um, I guess, negative influence on opposing teams' offenses that would want to try to attack the rim if, if he's around. So, Do you feel he is the best fit at center of players who are currently on the roster? 
Oh boy. Um, I'm gonna say yes, but I I don't I don't love it. I I don't as like a starting center. Yeah. No. Um. But yeah, I. I think he could maybe affect the most change in a positive direction for the Bucks defensively. What is it, just to sort of divert into this, I think we had it in a mailbag question, but we might as well do it now. And I think it was this week, actually, I wrote about it as well. What is it about, I think we're up to four different coaches now, <laughs> that they have seen in John Hansen that has made them decide he is not the starter? What is that? Why down the stretch were we seeing Henson and Plumlee together in the second unit rather than Monroe with one or the other? Or rather than Monroe with Plumlee. I mean, we'd seen what both of those guys could do. If you wanted to go two bigs and give another guy a chance to starters, we talked about this on the podcast a long way back. Henson was the guy. Why didn't that happen? Why didn't Kid stick with him over Zaza the year before? Why... Why did Larry Drew not even fully trust Henson? <laughs> I mean, it goes back, it goes back to Skiles. What is it that these coaches are seeing? Because the potential is clear, you're right, his shot-blocking instincts is... I guess his his eye for the defensive mm-hmm. side of the game, he just he tends to read it better than a lot of others around him, definitely. What is it, though, that is giving all these coaches cause for hesitation. I I think maybe, uh, boy. I, I guess kind of offensive, offensively, what do, what do you do with Henson? I mean, he could be the kind of, you know, the screener, but he, he's certainly not going like, to pick and pop. He'd maybe pick and roll. Uh, maybe you're, you're limited in that sense. I'm certainly compared to Monroe because Monroe can do things offensively. Um but even compared to Plumley, I guess that that's really a good question. I, I don't know exactly what you're missing out on with Can Henson he offer Plumlee. the the rim running that Plumley can? Hmm. I would say no, just based on what I saw. But you know, I guess in the back of my head, I'd like to think yes. <laughs> but no, I mean, just based on evidence, no. I, I would I would I would default to Plumley that way. I guess. I think that's part of the problem too is the evidence that we have to call upon once again doesn't doesn't include long spells of him with the starters. So right. you don't get a real taste of what Henson trying to keep up with Giannis and Jabari in transition looks like or you, you just can't get a read on that. What are your thoughts on Henson and where he fits longer term and in the bigger picture with the books? I know we definitely talked earlier in the season and I remember away from the podcast, you coming to me, Jordan, and saying, when people talk with the core, you felt they should be talking about Henson as well. And with his contract, that definitely applies. In terms of a skill set, though, where and how does he fit longer term with the team? I actually, I do see him as a very good rim runner. Um, I, I think I've we probably talked about this when they went with a, a Plumlee starting um, for Monroe during that like I think it was like ten games or something like that, and I felt like 
even though Hanson was hurt or we did he wasn't fully healthy or anything like that, I feel like he could have still he still could have done those similar things that Plumley did. Um, maybe not to the I, maybe not the way that it you know worked a, a lot of the time or consistently with Plumley, but I just feel like he still has those aspects of you know rim running. Um, he, again, he he doesn't really have that much of a low post game, but he still is kind of an efficient player. You know, he's pushed again like almost sixty percent for the field, mostly hook shots, all that stuff. We you know the lefty the lefty hook. Um, I don't know. I just think the one thing that always I've seen from Henson since he's been in Milwaukee is he just makes he turns over the ball way too much for how little touches he gets. You know, he he makes great passes sometimes, but that doesn't happen all the time. He doesn't have that consistently enough. Um, and I think that just kind of all adds up. You know, he he has all the skills you want in a a big, especially for what this team needs now. We we know they need a very good defensive-minded center who can occasionally, you know, run the floor with Giannis and Jabari and Milton, all this stuff. And for whatever reason, it no one has given him not a consistent... It, it's, it's more consistent than where it was, but... Maybe he's just gonna be this kind of six man. And may, I mean, maybe that's a ceiling. You know, it's not a bad. It's not. A, I don't think it's as bad of a role as it is was. You know, where he was like two years ago. Does it come down to the consistency of effort, or maybe his application? Because I think that's the only reservation I have. On both ends, he maybe gets away with it a little bit more on defense because of his long arms. He can sort of just about make up for it. On offense, though, my only worry, and I'm trying to think, I don't have, I don't have reason to say he can't be the rim runner, but at the same time, I can't recall plays where, like you can with Plumley, where you have these sort of getting out in transition and finishing. They're just not there. And part of that, to me, I wonder, is it the same problem that he has across the floor at times, where it's just his effort, his application just sort of goes up and down. And there isn't that consistency. And maybe sometimes you get out and run, and other times eh, he mightn't feel like it. And that's the big difference with Plumley. And that's the one thing we can all agree on. Henson has a lot more talent than Plumley. But Plumley gives it his all and brings energy across the floor. Could that be the factor that just nobody, in terms of his current coach, previous coaches, has felt? I know exactly what I'm getting from Henson every night, and that's not even in terms of what he can do in terms of skill, but more of an effort question. Mm-hmm. I could be fair. I mean, like you pointed out, we're under four coaches now, so I can't, <laughs> I can't think it's just some bias from you know that just keeps carrying over. Uh, I would like to point out, and both Jordan and I, in trying to explain, and we both had exasperation size <laughs> trying to figure out what. <laughs> I think uh, you know, like I, we want to like him so bad, and maybe, like Jordan said, maybe six man is a ceiling, which isn't a bad thing, but it's just there's something there that's not clicking, and you know, maybe maybe it isn't everything. It could be maybe that simple of an answer. I've come to the conclusion that exasperated size 
they just replace breeding for books fans when they're talking about the books. <laughs> <laughs> it's so second nature that it just comes out. I've I've grown used to it. It's it's hard to ask Jordan a question where he doesn't have to give an exasperated sigh before going one way or another, and he takes great joy in trying to break me down to to this level of books exasperation. But <laughs> you're right with Henson, it was. It was definitely a universal cider. Uh, <laughs> and yet, people, he's Mike's Defensive Player of the Year. Controversial pick. <laughs> Less controversial. Myself and Jordan went for the same player once again. <laughs> Can you remember who you went for, Jordan? Yeah. I, uh, I went with Chris Milton once again. I, was, I don't know. I wasn't paid or anything. Or uh, <laughs> given a bribe, or a um, DVD. Kind of, <laughs> kind of same thing. I, I mean, <laughs> give the award for when the Bucks had like what the twenty fifth best defense <laughs> in the NBA or something like that. Mm. Um, mm. It certainly is more of a participation award than an achievement award by any measure. Um, but again, like I said before. <sighs> It was a really defense fell off in a big bad way, but Middleton helped anchor and impressively being a wing kind of guarding twos and threes or whatever. That's really impressive. Obviously, we're seeing you know Kawhi Leonard being defensive player of the year two times in a row or two years in a row. We're seeing wings become more important to defensive schemes, and I feel like Middleton. He's not going to be a Kawhi Leonard level by any means, but he's certainly really solid, and he really improved over the year. And the Bucks, the second half of the year, their defense was better. Um, you know, maybe because of lineup changes, all that stuff. But uh, if you look at any stat with Middleton and the defense, it it's very positive, and it just you know that's all I have. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think saying the Bucks' defense was better is like saying someone was definitely going to die very soon. <laughs> but now they might live a little bit longer. Yeah. I feel like that's the sort of scale we were working off for Bucks' defense being better. <laughs> I, I don't know. I went with Middleton too. And... It's an interesting one when you stop and think about it because you sort of ask yourself, why exactly is it Middleton? He doesn't have a lot of the maybe show-stopping steals, although he had quite a lot of steals. He was the leader in the league post-All-Star break. He doesn't have the blocks that Giannis has. And in a way, that's nearly what it boils down to. Is he does all the simple things. He's one of the guys who actually makes smart defensive reads and will adjust sort of in the middle of possessions and he he just will be in position more often than not and on the books that was a big thing they were guilty across the floor for it but I'd say if you were to go back and watch every every tree the books gave up every wide open tree the books gave up this season I know it would be some sort of some form of torture that would, um, but if you were to do it, I'd have a feeling that Middleton would be responsible for very few compared to most of his teammates. 
Jabari had big issues with it. Giannis, we saw problems with it from time. Michael Carter-Williams, when he was the starter, had his issues with it too. It didn't feel like it was Middleton who was the guy cut out most of the time. It's just about doing the simple things right, and I think that's what he does across the floor, and it translates to defense. And in a year where the defense wasn't good, there were so many things that fluctuated. Once again, he was a steady presence there, and... Without that on defense, God knows how many points a game the books would have been given up. Moving on to the really fun awards. This is <laughs> this is the most books of books awards that you could possibly find. Most disappointing player. <laughs> Maybe Jordan has broken me because I'm going with this before. The sort of most pleasant surprise in terms of players. So... Maybe that says something. We have five different players who got votes in this category, which also says something. OJ Mayo, Grievous Vasquez, Rashad Vaughn, Greg Monroe, and Michael Carter-Williams. Somewhat of a who's who of books misery. (laughs) (laughs) Can we all remember who we voted for? Because we voted for... Three different people in this case. I, <laughs> I believe I remember. Did I vote for Grievous? I thought I did. You did. Uh, and you have some nerve to come on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> After voting for Grievous Vasquez as the most disappointed player. Um, <laughs> no, you, you, weren't, you weren't the only one to vote for that. Um, I understand why. Um... Uh, my Grievous Vasquez jersey is not looking like a good investment right now. <laughs> Charles Gardner's end of season grades where he just sort of flippantly said, yeah, Grievous Vasquez will be looking for another team this summer. Did not sit well with me. <laughs> when when Ty's Johnny O'Brien jersey has more potential to last long into the future than mine, it's not a good thing. Don't want to be our last <laughs> Getting back on track. I'll let you start. Grievous Vasquez. Sounds obvious to ask this, but why was Grievous Vasquez the biggest disappointment for you? I and honestly, this this was a this was a pretty tough category for me. I, I kind of I waffled quite a bit. Um, for Grievous, it, it, you know, and the injury, I, I can't fault him for that unless I guess he did something stupid to get himself injured. But it, it was just when looking at the games that he played. He really didn't do much of anything, and I was really hoping for a type of a, a sixth-man type of guy uh, out of Grievous Vasquez. Uh, he was always, I will say, he's great. He appears to be great as a teammate. He was always up and cheering, even when he was in very tight jeans. He was, like, really pumped, you know, for the rest of his team. And that's awesome. Like, legitimately, that's really cool. Um, but when it came to court time, uh, his three-point shot, and maybe it was the injury, but his three-point shot was just non-existent um, as far as makes go and um, yeah I was just hoping for more out of him when he was on the court and then they really you could have probably watched the whole season and, and not realized that, that Grievous was, was on the court at all I was obviously hoping for much more but I'm sort of over and we see this debate go on it's, it's sort of wearing tin with me now that the pick and that whole that whole deal on draft night, 
it happened and it's over with and it wasn't very pretty and it's less pretty now, but it's done. The big issue I have with that trade, and I don't think it's discussed enough, is Grievous Vasquez didn't look right from day one with the books. So it is possible, of course, that in training camp or preseason he picked up an injury. But my only concern would be that maybe the injury was carried over from his days in Toronto. That's mm. the only part of that deal that really sort of concerns me. The rest of it was bad and it happened, it's done, it can't be undone. But that's the part where if they made that deal and there was any sort of niggling injury there, you'd sort of hope that they'd pick up on those sort of things before a first round pick, second round pick would be traded away. Of course, it may not be the case. It might have happened early in the season, but if it did, he was having an uncharacteristically bad start to the year, regardless. Mm. And that's just the thing that raises a few alarm bells stuff for me. The one thing I will say from is his passing lived up to what I thought it could be. We didn't get many opportunities to see it, but even in the final few games of the season, the ease with which he could distribute. I still think that there is a role for that, particularly on this team. It's not going to happen, but there is a real value to that. And, you know, if he was the three-point shooter that we hoped and expected he'd be, a guy who could distribute like that, who could shoot the tree, wasn't necessarily going to shoot a whole lot if the ball wasn't in his hands, he'd be a really strong contender for the point guard the books wanted beside Giannis. And I think that's sort of the irony of it. More than a lot of other guys in the roster, he might be the best fit. Um, ideally, it'd be nice to have someone who could play defense, but the books don't have a point guard on the roster who can really do that. Um, maybe Tyler Ennis a little bit before Jordan gets upset. But, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, Grievous was definitely disappointing. Um Jordan, can you remember who you picked? I believe I took OJ Mayo. Which is fitting, because Mike mentioned that the injury wasn't Vasquez's fault unless he did something stupid to cause the injury. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I certainly rode the wave of OJ Mayo this year. Uh, Point Mayo, Coach Mayo. Coach Mayo was your innovation, Jordan. Coach, yeah. And now we sit here and discuss. Um, I don't know. There's nothing really to talk about other than he was supposed to be this leadership kind of guy, the veteran, if you will, with Bayless, along with Bayless. And the difference was Bayless produced, um, and maybe he was that veteran leadership kind of guy. We don't know. I'm, I want to guess so. Um, the only thing that really came out of this season for OJ Mayo was just his being that kind of like good guy and then just having weird bouts of anchor or you know making mischief on the court and missing yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it mischief yeah. <laughs> he's a lovable scamp um, uh <laughs> Uh, and missing reg- you know a bunch of open threes or driving to the lay or driving to the basket missing I mean it was just it was a terrible offensive season for him but they had no one else to go to 
especially after Grievous went down and FCW was, you know, flirty with coming off the bench, all this stuff. It's just, uh, it was, it was rough, and it's gotten to the point where I don't think anyone is expecting the Bucks to even ask him to come back this year or next year. I mean, sorry. Um, and it's uh, at least we had one good year with Jabeel. I uh, wish we had three, but at least we had one, uh, one really good. You know, good was that year. was that last year? Yeah. Wow, that was a good year. Yeah, it was it was like a roller coaster. You went, you had to go up, you had to go down, very down. They went up and then. Just it must it must be a roller coaster that starts on like ground level and goes underground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, you go like a, in a coal mine and then you come back up. It's like oh, this is what it's like to see good old Jimmy, and then you go back in the coal mine. <laughs> My life is going to be so much better next season for not having OJ Mayo in. Uh, those of you who have braved the Win at Six podcast for the best part of 12 months now will remember the multiple summer podcasts where I was gonna I was gonna lump other people in with it, but I'll take sole responsibility. Although others contributed, I tore OJ Mayo and Jared Bayless apart last summer. I wanted no part in either of them, and I guess it says a lot about how the season went of how I had to do a 360 on one of those guys. <laughs> uh, 180 even. 360 was was basically what actually I did on, on Mayo because there was, there was a point with OJ Mayo where I very briefly had a honeymoon period that ended in Minnesota, as all bad honeymoons do. Um, <laughs> it was that moment that a lot of other people didn't care a lot about that just hit me pretty hard about what OJ Mayo was to the team because the answer was nothing and it's funny when you mentioned we hoped for him to offer some leadership Jordan, when you think about that why? The guy had literally given us no reason to trust him in leadership capacity, this was the player who when he was first side, he was supposed to be still sort of a good NBA player uh, he had an okay season with the Mavs I want to say and he was out of shape so bad that whole season. And it's like, as you said, last year was a good season. I cannot remember OJ Mayo last year. <sighs> well, I mean, you're making. I didn't. I didn't even vote for OJ Mayo in this category. Yeah. <laughs> I I was just disappointed because I wanted him to succeed as a coach, and it quickly was dashed. <laughs> my most disappointing player is Greg Monroe we've shifted into this nice neat little spot which is both accurate and I feel like it sort of glosses over a lot of stuff where we all accept that it's a bad fit which it is yep. Yes. he's a good offensive player which he is and he's pretty much as bad as we expect him to be defensively. So all of that seems to tie up into this nice little bundle of he is what we expected him to be. And there's definitely a validity to that. But at the same time, I can't just sort of wipe away the excitement that 
I want to say about 90% of the fan base had after the signing, heading into the season. I wasn't even the biggest Greg Monroe, I guess, fan. I, I didn't think it was the best center option. I wanted a more defensive-minded center to begin with. But still, by the time, time this, the regular season was approaching, I was... I was all aboard to, oh, this team, if things go right, this team could get 50 wins, Train. How how yeah. wrong was I? And for that reason, Greg Monroe is the only guy for me because he was the player who, I guess, the ceiling of where he could push the books to and the floor which he ended up on was so, so different. OJ Mayo was incredibly disappointing. That one, that's not the first and will not be the last time anyone has said that about O.J. Mayo, though. <laughs> so, I sort of, for me, it was an easy one as Greg Monroe. The other the other two players I mentioned to start, but they got votes. Not from any of us, but Rashad Vaughn got two votes. I, I can't remember who voted for him, but a little, little bit harsh, whoever you are. Uh, Honestly, that, that one's surprising to me. I don't. I, don't, I feel like don't that's really that's definitely something that it's like an agenda that's pushed out there, and a lot of books fans are sort of gathering behind that. And I, hmm. I don't know, is it like the John Hammond miracle mid first round pick syndrome that books fans might have, where they do expect like a seventeenth overall pick to not only always be something, but to be something straight away. I mm. I don't know what you can ask for from Vaughn this year when you have more experienced guys who in exit interviews were sort of bemoaning the lack of veteran leadership and the influence that they had the year before. Without that, how can you expect Rashad Vaughn to get the ground running? And as we've spoken before, a guy who basically had his only year in college cut short through injury as well. So it really needs to be cut some slack, but Nonetheless, we had two of our staff members vote for Vaughn. And maybe it shows how disappointing the book season was as a whole, that Michael Carter-Williams only got one vote. Hmm. Yeah. And when you think at the start of the year, he was the starting point guard. Whether you like the trade or not, most people felt he is. He's a starting point guard. He's going to be the starting point guard for the future. You'd be doing well to find maybe five or ten people who think that now. We we have maybe 50% of the people who think that climb into our comment section every now and then. But outside of that, I don't know how many people feel that way about Michael Carter-Williams. So it says a lot about the rest of the team that he maybe doesn't figure as prominently on that. Mm. On a more positive note. Which player most exceeded expectations? We have four players who got votes in this category. We have Miles Plumley, Jared Bayless, Tyler Ennis, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Mm. Mike, we'll start off with you. You were the one and only Giannis voter in the exceeded expectations category. You look surprised at that. Is that you're surprised that you voted for Yanis, or you're surprised no one else did? <laughs> really, surprised nobody else did. I mean, I uh, I love Giannis, and I, I love watching his game. I, I guess I I didn't expect, especially the second half, the the triple doubles and just 
the scheme was certainly uh, part of it, getting the ball in his hands, but I, I didn't expect to see that from him at any point this year, to be honest. I, I, I didn't know if that was going to be, be a thing at all. So I was, I was very pleasantly surprised with what he put out uh, on the floor. I think everyone, and I, I could probably speak for myself on this one, it's pretty easy to get influenced in this category by players you don't really expect anything at all from who then give you something. Where Giannis might actually have been the most pleasant surprise in terms of the high level he actually reached, but at the same time, we all expected and hoped for something. We hoped for real improvement. So maybe that's why a lot of people went different ways on it. Uh, it can, can you remember yours, Jordan? I believe I said Plumley. You didn't even vote for Tyler Ennis. I can't believe it. Well, I mean, <laughs> the, I mean that was a given. You got to go outside of. You know, the expectations. You know, I'm exceeding people's expectations by not picking Tyler Evans. Um, and I always thought he was good, so it, you know, it's yeah, come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was more. It wasn't anything on Plumlee's uh, abilities or how good of a player he was. It was more the fact that here we are sitting after this, you know, season. And before the season, we're talking about, oh, Henson and Monroe, are, you know, that's a good combination, all this stuff. And we're like, you know, Plumlee's not a bad backup center or third center to have either. And it turns out he was arguably the best center for the Bucks. It's also, it's also worth noting, sorry to cut across you, but remember the Mark Stein tweet around Christmas time? Yes. Where Miles Plumlee was officially, I think, the first player in the NBA of any team made openly available. <laughs> it's, it's a strange sort of situation where the books have ended up in, where now they want to bring him back because they were shopping Miles Plumlee in December. No one tries to trade players in December. And not only that, it was at the same time they were looking at Karan Butler. So you can draw your own conclusions from that one. That would have been some tough juice to swallow. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, was, oh yeah, it was just more the fact that we're sitting here at the end of the season and Miles Plumlee, we're talking about Miles Plumlee being a valuable player that the Bucks should bring back, and it's because he fits well with what they have right now, and uh, it's it's crazy to think about, but here we are. For me, I went with Jared Bayless, and that was based off of, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I think hating him is the best way to put it all summer long. I really did not want to have to watch more Jared Bayless, and he proved a lot of the things, I don't want to say preconceptions I had of what a season was going to be, because I feel like he'd shown that in the past, but he didn't shoot in necessarily the same sort of volume way. He was much more efficient all around sort of settled into a role and embraced it and that was such a pleasant surprise and he became such a key part of the team um, that's of course a reflection on other players but equally I think he deserves credit for that so I mean it's a tough one there's multiple deserving candidates in, in that category but I did lean towards Bayless just because he makes sort of so 
I guess real money. He's not on like a Plumley or an Ennis or like a Johnny O'Brien or our English contract. He's not a guy like that where it's just like, well, if he gives you anything, it's it's a great bonus. You actually sort of need Bales to give you something. I didn't expect him to, and he did. So there's not a lot more we can ask for than that. I'm going to very quickly, before we move on, aside from awards, we also asked some some of the more contentious questions that are surrounding the team heading into the summer. So I'm going to just touch on a couple of them quickly. Um, you can all look forward, as I said, there'll be articles out on pretty much all of these questions. I will be looking to make the guilty parties in certain cases accountable so you'll hear the reasoning <laughs> we are a transparent Milwaukee Books blog so you'll hear all about it um, the first question we run through do you think Greg Monroe should be traded and will it actually happen let's see what answers we have Mike went with he should and it will I went to the should and it won't. And this was the one I hinted at last week on the podcast where Jordan Tresky skipped the question. <laughs> he said the fans. I answered the question. It did, I answered that question. I know I answered that question. <laughs> Jordan answered in private anyway. And he said, after two or three days of deliberation, he oh should, my should and he won't. So, I don't want to break down exactly how it's looking, but no, I won't say any more because there's no way for me not to give it away. Talk about Mike. We University, okay, between the three of us, we've all agreed he should be traded. Why do you feel like it will happen? I, I don't think Monroe's a bad player I, I I guess just the thought though that you could uh, clearly in, in hindsight especially you look back and think oh we could swap out essentially swap out Zaza for Greg Monroe and everything's gonna be great it, it, that's that's not a good idea um, Greg gives you more offensively and, and certainly a lot less defensively but he has value to other teams um, New Orleans is probably the biggest one that came up pairing him with Anthony Davis if that makes sense or if uh, a certain general manager makes his way over to New Orleans would probably certainly affect that. Um, but I, I think he's, especially with his contract also, because if I'm not mistaken, guys, and you can correct me certainly if I'm wrong, um, I think he has an op, a player option for year three. He does, yeah. So that his contract is going to be up after the season. Yeah. So that that's going to hold some value, especially with the cap going up. I feel the problem for me is... I guess there's a few issues. One, I don't think the books have done the best job of maximizing his value. Um, he does still do a lot of things well. I don't think the books have sold that to teams around the league. For example, when he was benched, that made sort of major ripples. And while most people were worried about the perception that has for future free agents, uh, the real sort of consequence of that could be more if the books weren't sold to Monroe how it impacted the perception of them with other teams. And that could be what comes back to sting the books a little bit this summer. And the other part of it is that player option, 
with the cap rising, you, you do have to feel he's likely to opt out. And mm-hmm. particularly if he's not in a winning situation, because that was the reason he came to Milwaukee in the first place. They didn't deliver. So if you are a young team, maybe working your way up, or if you're a lottery team this year, if you didn't feel confident, you're definitely going to make the playoffs and give Greg Monroe what he wanted, maybe persuade him into taking up that extra year as a player option. I feel it's tough to convince anyone to give up something real. And this is, I don't want to say a debate because it's been more of an argument that's been had in this podcast countless times this season. But (laughs) the value people hold for him is very different. Me personally, I'd give him up for very little. Any sort of Mm -hmm. real asset, I'd feel okay with if he doesn't fit Let's move on where it doesn't cost anything. And if you get an asset back, you haven't really wasted that free agency signing. Because at the end of the day, they didn't trade for him. Mm. They signed him in free agency. If he didn't work, but you get someone else who does work, it's a net win. You also mm. have the cap space back to go after whoever you want as well. On the other hand, though, and I feel like this is much more where the books are going to fall, and this maybe does come into saving face as an organization a little bit for making the deal in the first place, I think they're going to push for a real return. I'm not sure what team gives that up. Mm. Yeah. You know, the other thing is a lot of teams who are sort of... Teams like Brooklyn now, it's for maybe 29 other teams around the league, it's sad to see Brooklyn sort of get it together and look like they might have an actual thought process behind what they were doing because this is the sort of thing where in the the peak days of Mikhail Prokhorov's just hunger for a championship now, you'd be able to go, look, we've got this good player. His contract might be there for a long time. He gets paid a decent amount of money, but you can just give us all your future picks and take them off our hands. What a bargain that is for you. And they would have done it. (laughs) Unfortunately, there's less teams like that available. Even the Sixers where... Even if they didn't believe in Monroe, Hinky might have taken him for a couple of picks. You might have got an asset back somewhere else, whatever way that works. They're not going to do that. There's just those sort of scenarios aren't as readily available. And mm. I feel like that's going to hurt the books on it. And also relevant to this, of course, is uh, the reports is the, the most important way to frame this. But of course, the reports of potential trade of Monroe at the deadline that Jason Kidd wanted to make, but the ownership didn't want to make. Mm. That's the real source of all this debate over what's the relationship between Kidd and the ownership. And you've got to wonder then what the ownership really sees as the value of Monroe. And that's going to factor into it. So that's where for me, I think he should. I think he's back next year though. And Myself and Jordan talked about this briefly in private not too long ago. That's actually something we never talked about on the podcast, I don't think. A much scarier reality that people haven't thought about. Say, Monroe doesn't get traded. and People don't like the fit, they don't feel like it's ideal, and he's still in the roster. The worst case scenario becomes, what if Monroe gets injured next year? Misses mm. most of the year. And then he's got a player option mm-hmm. for another year and you don't feel like he fits and there's another year 15 million on the books. Because yeah. that's the scenario where 
it's all well and good to go, oh, he's got one year and the cap's rising, he's going to opt out, the fit's not great, what damage does it do? But another year down the line for when this core has progressed further, if we're talking about where Yanis, Jabari, Middleton should be going into the season after next, that's when you really want to hope they're sort of ramping up to being contenders. And 15 million is a lot of money that could be tied up in a guy who isn't a core part of that plan. So that doesn't get talked about a lot, but it should factor into the team's thinking. It's just whether they can find a trade-off where they find a team who really wants them and they can make that deal happen. I'm inclined to think if this does happen, it could be a team later in free agency who've missed a lot of their targets. Mm. Say if the Celtics strike out, I don't think they will because they're the Celtics and they've maybe got a a better product to sell people on than they have for quite a number of years now. But if they struck out on any major free agents they wanted to add, they sort of need a big man, something like that maybe. If the Blazers couldn't find anyone, they'd have loads of cap space. The Hornets are a team who could have lots of cap space. They need to replace Al Jefferson. What better way to do that than with an Al Jefferson type of player? Uh, I... I don't know. They're the sort of scenarios, but I think there's a lot of things that would have to fall into place if the books wanted that to happen anyway. And that's up for debate. Mm. Jordan? At least the Kings still exist. Ah, if only the Kings didn't have Boogie, which could be a reality we find ourselves in at some point in the summer, um, which might solve all our problems. I mean, if they want to trade Boogie somewhere else and they need a center, if they want to do a straight swap, I mean, we could figure it out. <laughs> then definitely OJ is not back. If Boogie is on this team, OJ is not coming back. You don't need to use the if there. There's no need to preface it. OJ is not coming back. <laughs> Decided. I can't. I can't do another OJ mail here. Gone. <laughs> Falling down the stairs. I mean, I can't do it. Chasing referees. It's all too much. <laughs> Jordan, you're on the he should and he won't be traded bandwagon too. What's your thinking on that? Um, I think you said a lot of it. I, I think, you know, they've made a big deal about chasing a, a big man uh, for agency last year and trading him 12 months or 13 months later. Not exactly a PR move that they would like to have on them. Um, and I truly think, too, that they really think they can make it work with him. Um, whether I agree with it or not, that is, I, I don't. <laughs> um, but I think they're going to try. They know that they have the core in place um, to go around him, uh, in theory, I guess. Um I just I, I and the other thing too. What do you? I don't know what they would want in return. Um, I don't I know, know if they know what they want to return. Exactly. I mean, like the whole player option thing. It's such a we talk about like theoretically as the season kind of you know started shaping the way it did, and then as it got to be a you know a pressing problem, like you have to. Theoretically, this is the best value you could get him at. You have, you're not going to get anything better at this time. Um, maybe there is some organization that will, you know, 
like you said, like maybe the Celtics or someone swings out of free agency, swings out, uh, <laughs> misses, <laughs> misses, and, or swings and misses um, on free agency, maybe they'll make a run for Monroe, but that's just half of it. What do you, what do the Bucks want to return? You know, it's it's such a hard question, and I don't know. I think. He will. I, I think he'll have a better. If, I, I think there is a way for him to work with the team. I think it has to be coming off the bench. But again, that does not look good to have your biggest free agent coming off the bench, and um, in limited minutes. So I, I don't know. I I just don't see it really realistically happening unless if some crazy, you know, events happen in the off season then maybe it comes back up, but I just don't see it at this point. There are some juicier questions that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on. In part because I think we're better at not expressing opinions on them in a recorded format. <laughs> uh, maybe that's just me. There are certain things maybe I shouldn't say. Uh, but you'll, you'll see. There's plenty to talk about. You'll see it all. Trust me, eventually you'll get to see it. I want to briefly do something. This is where we get back to the normal podcast structure because I've just decided to do this now. Um, so <laughs> I hope you're prepared. I want to talk about free agency briefly, not in not in great detail, but just to touch on a little bit. We've had a few questions this week in the mailbag about what type of player the book should be looking for, who are realistic targets, all of this sort of thing, and I see I'm seeing a lot of names being mentioned with the books, and I really wish people listened closer to the podcast because we've been over this, people. <laughs> it's very, very difficult for the books to get a big name signing, someone who's going to go and it's going to be paid real money for a long period of time because there's this thing, and I've seen it quite a lot from books fans and it's true the books have cap space this summer they've quite a bit of cap space the problem is the next summer and the summer after that that cap space is really for Yanis extension Jabari's extension and unless the owners are ready to really pay over the odds and tax which I think the jury might still be out on that matters now. So if the books are going to go and sign pretty high-profile players, it's got to be a one-year deal or a two-year deal at max. And this is why, say, Mike Conley, one of the most popular names in the books free agent discussion, understandably great player, one of the best, most underrated point guards in the league. And today, Monday, as we record this, he's come out and he's made some nice comments if you're interested in signing him as a free agent he's hinted that he'd be open to sort of look around he's not doing the the Marcus all lockdown I'm staying in Memphis that we saw last summer at the same time it's not realistic for the books to think they have a chance at Mike Conley I'm not sure it's a good fit anyway because he's too good of a player to be to stand in the corner play a bit of defense and shoot some trees it's point guard but they just they can't do it. If, if he's going to... I mean, Mike Conley could get 16, 17, 18 million more, depending on the team. And 
in that sort of scenario, it's not it's not unrealistic, it wouldn't be unfair. And it just doesn't work for the books. The same applies to say the likes of Al Horford, a name that I see come up from time to time, which I have very deep rooted issues with. Um, <laughs> Al Horford is going to sign his mega max deal with the Hawks that only the Hawks can offer him. So everyone else, move on, hands off. But <laughs> once again, the the books couldn't afford to give Al Horford the max. Sure, it'd be great if they could have this world where Al Horford was their center, where they get some defense, they'd actually get some floor spacing. He would solve a lot of problems. It's just not very realistic in terms of money, and this is in a bigger picture, longer term sense. So, I've gone all around the world to get here with a little rant. <laughs> but, free agents stand out. Is there anyone who you guys feel is going to be inexpensive enough to possibly fall in the book's price range, could significantly improve the team in one way or another, not necessarily even as a starter, and would be potentially interested in coming to Milwaukee? I'm working on... Um, well, I had submitted something about Festus Azili, who was a restricted free agent, and if you didn't read it, skip to the end. I, I don't think that's realistic. Um, uh, don't I'm listen, don't listen. Read, and, read it and read it. You'll find out what Mike thinks at the end. If, if, I'll have censored out what he just said there, so read the piece and you'll find out what he thinks at the end. Uh, this week, I'm, I won't share the ending with this, but um, working on something about Jan Mahimi. Um, that's an interesting one to me. Actually, since we're talking about this, get your guys' thoughts. What do you think about Bismack Biombo? I guess not so much is it likely, but would he be a good fit on this team? You've sort of stumbled into, I think, the Bismack Biombo supporters club here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> we we are big Bismack Biombo fans who I feel safe saying we both wanted him last summer. And mm. we, we talked on maybe it was our second winning six ever when we went through free agents and he was one of the centers where we felt he'd be inexpensive I don't think we were expecting that any sort of max money center was going to come to Milwaukee anyway but he was one of the guys where like in terms of what he brings in defense particularly his mm -hmm. fit is perfect mm -hmm. the one concern with Biombo would have to be his shovel hands that seem incapable of catching a basketball yeah. but it still sort of balances out I mean the one play even that if Bucks fans need to be sold on Beyond Boy, I don't know if, if either of you, Jordan probably does um, as he has a Raptors rooting interest for a lot of the season as well but <laughs> Do you remember the block Biombo had? It was sometime around Christmas against the Jabari. Yeah, it was at Jabari. Where yeah. he, the ball, I want to say, went down the complete other end of the court. It was a vicious rejection. <laughs> I'm going to... I How I know and how that vine said it to me, how that vine, see, I've said it there, I, I vined that block and 
it had something like 250,000 loops in like a day. It's like, that's how crazy the people are for Bismarck Beyond, but I really like them. I think yeah. it's a pity they didn't go and get them last summer where they could have paid him a little bit more than the Raptors and locked him into a longer deal because he seems like a guy whose value will definitely have increased. This year. What did the Raptors pay for him? Like, like three, I think? It was like three it and a half or much. four million, I think, was it? Yeah. It was, it was maybe two years, six mil, so three and a player option. Ugh. Yeah. That's crazy. He really, he really, uh, really made that return very quickly. <laughs> it was a great decision by him and his people. I mean, to to take yeah. that player option after one year. I mean, he backed himself. Said, "Okay, we'll take three million and work at putting myself in a better position to make a whole lot more next year." I think that's happened. The interesting thing for me with Biombo is I still think he'll be underpaid. Like it's yeah. when, we, when we talk about the Plumley debate, and most people want to see Plumley back as in he brought a lot of value to the books, but he's realistically going to end up in the maybe 8 to 10 million range. You can probably still get Biombo cheaper. Yeah. And he's probably yeah. a better fit. Without, he's not going to be as active or maybe do as much, but what he does will be more important. Yeah. I think in just kind of the guys that we're talking about, type free agents, uh, especially for the center position, defense is a must. But offensively, somebody that's not going to demand a lot of touches, the, the guy that's going to set the screen and roll if he needs to or just get out of the way, that's the guy. Ideally, if somebody could pop as well, that'd be awesome. You know, if you had three-point range from your center position, beautiful. But that's kind of not so many options there. Ideally, though, the guy that plays defense and the guy that will, you know, kind of do the dirty work, for lack of a better term, that's the guy that the Bucks will probably need at the center position. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, the, the whole center scenario—it's it's tough to like navigate from, and yeah, we it, it is just kind of guessing best fits at this point. But you know, I would think Riyambo would be a good fit. Jan Mahimi, I think, has shown in the series he kind of he definitely got off to a rough start, but his mm-hmm. game four alone uh, showed that he's really improved. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, who else? Who else? I actually, I want to say this too. I think I understand. You know, Monroe, or maybe it's just wishful thinking, and you kind of want to get the best free agents out there. But after this whole Monroe experiment, I'm so stick been with getting the big name. You have to get the right players uh, that fit along with it. The great thing is and, the books don't need the big name, Jordan. There, it's like. Well, that's what I'm saying too. Like, it, they don't, they don't need them at all. They already have them on the team. You know, like, I, I don't know. It's just seeing guys like, or the Conley and Horford are wonderful players, but the Bucks should not even try. Even I don't think they even should even try to give them an offer or even think about it. And the concern I have with that is. You'll remember the quote that we sort of poked fun at last week from Jason Kidd, where he was asked what he was doing for the summer now, and he talked very little about coaching. And he finished with, he hopes to land a free agent. It wasn't, I want to improve the team through free agency and sort of build. It was, hopefully I can land a free agent. So 
that still sort of hints at the thinking that they do want an impact free agent signing. And you'd have to wonder part of that as well, if the ownership are to agree or accept that Monroe hasn't worked out, maybe part of them is saying, okay, well, we want to recreate that feeling. If you're going to move him, we want you to get someone who can create that same sort of sense of optimism but as a better fit. And I, I just think that's it's a disastrous route to go down. We've we've talked about the likes of say Mahimi or Biombo. I still feel like there's lots of players on that level. And the books would be better suited to getting six bench guys. And all of a sudden you've got a real bench and those guys are interchangeable as they could come in to be starter one and five. Because at the end of the day, how much do those positions matter? It's it's what you get from the guys that are put in there around the three core pieces on the roster. Uh, some names, some names I like. I could be could be possible, or maybe worth taking a bit of a run at. Um, Dwight Powell is a restricted free agent. He's good. Really good, nice young player, but I also feel like he is someone who, being in Dallas, they are going to be a team who goes and swings at every free agent possible. So, mm-hmm. a solid offer, not necessarily something crazy, could get you him, and all of a sudden you've got a really good, young power forward. I think he's 6'10 or 6'11, super athletic, and... Mm-hmm. Just a really nice option, something different than all of a sudden. All of a sudden, you have different rotation options. Um, Courtney Lee is a player who I would be interested in, but feel like he's going to get overpaid. Maybe as an alternative to that, I don't hate Gerald Green. I feel like he's he's long enough. He's got good athleticism. If you could get him on a decent deal. I understand that none of these sound glamorous, and individually none of these players are going to make the book so much better. But it's about having five or six guys. This is exactly what their downfall was this year. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Oh, not, to, not to cut you off, but uh, uh, it just popped in my head. I think it's going to be a little tricky because Celtics gave them a kind of a weird deal, but Jonas Jerebko, I think, would be a very good fit. Um, I think he kind of fits that three-point shooter, stretch forward kind of thing. He even played five, so do like a stretch five. Um, but his deal is non-guaranteed, so it's kind of it's kind of one of those things, too. If Boston does go through, for, you know, tries to make a big swing uh, for agency, they can easily lose him if they, you know, kind of renounce his deal or make him an unrestricted free agent. So he's definitely one that I would kind of look out for uh, personally. I'm not sure think who else. Any chance Zaza comes back or no? We've got, we've got a question on this in the mailbag. Oh. I, I don't know. I sort of feel, and this is me talking about Zaza Pachulia, so that's support. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> They can get him cheaper than they can get Plumley back. He's probably not going to give you as much as Plumley on the court, but is his leadership, is his communication, 
is all of that worth more to the team where they are right now? Possibly. There's mm. definitely, if they moved on from Monroe either, I mean, there's definitely room to make a move like that. It could work mm. out quite well with Zaza. It's funny because he mightn't be worth quite as much on the court. And he has had a pretty dramatic fall off to finish the season. But then again, the point where he was falling off from was so incredibly high that I don't think anyone could have imagined it. But if he was to be your third center, I think there's probably good value to be had there. It's just the books probably have a lot of things to figure out in the meantime to get to that point. Mm. I know one Jordan has said from a long time, he feels like Jared Dudley could be an option. He actually hmm? did speak about it. I think I talked to you about this in him. He did say something what he was looking for in an interview with Jorge Castillo of the Washington Post, I think, or something like that. He's a very respected Wizards writer I've, I've seen. Um, and he said that he wants like a three-year deal. I'm willing to. I'm willing to do that. I don't. I. I don't care if it's eight billion dollars. I think. I think that's eight billion. Three years. Year. I know the cap's rising, but three years from now, Dudley's what? He's thirty-three. I'll take it. Oh, his injury history. I know it worked well for the books. Most part, he was injured a little, but. Oh. It's it's not it's not glamorous or it's it's definitely risky, but. I, he has such a his role for them. It's still it's still there. They, it, we saw it this year, and I, I don't know. I still think they need that kind of guy. Uh, a player who I've started to see his name come up quite a bit. I actually, think once again, like I mentioned in the mailbag, is Kent Bazemore. Oh, bees. I I don't see bees being anywhere really within the book's price range. Yeah. He's going to get... He might get 11 or 12 million. Yeah. Uh, he might get more. He might get more. I think if he gets more... Yeah, I suppose I'd, I'd probably... I wouldn't have thought Damari Carroll would have got what he got last year in sort of stepping out of really young too. Yeah, he is really young. And like the way he's improved in his two years with a Hawk, and even before that, he showed glimpses with the Lakers after being sort of buried on the bench in Golden State as their, their lead cheerleader. <laughs> he does a lot of things really well. Do you think he would be? Because I, I assume he would be starting in the backcourt with Middleton. Do, do you think that's a good fit? Uh, I I'm more inclined, and I know this is people sort of their opinions vary on this, but I said it the last few weeks a bit. I'm more inclined to go with a more traditional point guard still in the wing. Mm-hmm. I think if you were to go with a wing, he would be one of the better options. He's comfortable with the ball. He's not necessarily too big. He's he's longer than he is tall, really. Um, he definitely had a lot of what the books are missing. I just don't know 
how I'd feel with no fallback really from Yanis in terms of role playing because I don't think Baysmore is that guy. Like as a Hawks fan, I don't ever find myself except maybe when Dennis Schroeder is on the floor saying I really wish they'd put the ball in Baysmore's hands more often. <laughs> I it's just it's not something I want to see. He's really good at cutting. He's a good open shooter. He's a really active and like I said, an increasingly attentive defender. Like a lot of those things would be super valuable to the books. If he wasn't having quite as good a year or likely to make so much money, I'd be all for them paying him eight million and him being first or second guy off the bench. Mm. As it is though, I think he'll be too expensive and a little bit of a forced fit, maybe a point guard, which the books have had enough of trying to force fits to maybe try and step away from that this year. Is there any other players? Any other guys? Hey, I was that just uh, to transition to the draft just a little bit. The reason I asked about the Bazemore thing, I I think I had, uh, might have tweeted uh, to you, Adam, about like I I loved Enzel Valentine. I was just trying to picture the fit though of okay, say you plug him in as a starter. Well, then it's a backcourt of him and Middleton. Now somebody's going to have to guard a point guard. That could be a whole world of bad, you know. So I, I guess I didn't – just in regards to Bazemore, would he fit as a starter or would it have to be primarily a bench role? You know, gets gets good minutes, but just somebody that wouldn't actually be in the starting lineup. I think he's better equipped to guard point guards than someone like Valentine or a lot of other guys in that mold. Bazemore is a guy who – he can sort of legitimately do what I feel like the books want to think Michael Carter-Williams can do, where he mm. can guard the point guard, he has the lateral quickness, he's long enough, and he's not sort of so big that he's lumbering or he can't keep up with them. At the same time, with mixed success, but, I mean, he'll take it on, he did guard LeBron at times the playoffs last year and did so even the regular season with the Hawks this year. Like, that's a really sort of it's a really wide range of players to cover yourself on. And for to have a guy who could be a one or a two and he's prepared to sort of go out and try to guard LeBron or try to sort of stand up to him in the post, that's impressive. Valentine, I know, yeah. Ty's not here, but he is Ty's favorite player in the draft. He's completely yeah. sold on his point guard ability. I just, I, I'm not seeing the wing as the extra player to add to this group. The Bucks need really good wings, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be against them taking someone of Valentine's size, even with the pick. But if you're doing that, I think you're still looking for your point guard via trade or via free agency. Yeah, that's fair. It's, it's, just, it's just where I'm sitting at, at the moment. It could work out that way. I just, it's, you're really reliant on Giannis being super consistent as a point guard throughout. And that might just be too much to dump that burden on him. Um, it's a, it's an interesting one. It's fun that that debate even exists. That Giannis is so unique that yeah. we can talk about. Well, can they get another wing and really play without a traditional point guard? That is fun. It's hard to get a grasp though on what exactly is the right thing to do with that either. Yeah. This is a summer where maybe more than the past, I feel like it's this isn't going to bode well. I can almost 
see Jordan's reaction to this in my head already, but I feel like this summer is going to be easier for the books to make mistakes with their moves than it has been for a long time. Yeah. I feel like I they can make... a lot of mistakes last year. <laughs> yeah, but I, I feel like it, it was harder to make that many mistakes last year. They really went out of their way to do it. Yeah. But this year, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of different directions they can go in that it's very possible they can make a lot of mistakes. Mm. <sighs> On that reassuring note, let's move to the mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start off with first one from Ashafty Bro, Mike Garland. Uh, this touches on a lot of what we've just talked about. Rank the books point guard prospect. Mm. To be clear, none of these players actually play for the books. First <laughs> one is personal favorite of Mike's, Nicholas Batum. Then we have Baysmore. Then we have Conley. And last and definitely least in this company, we have Matthew Delavadova. Mm-hmm. For me, I think the first three are out of the price range, and I'm not sure Daddy goes anywhere. Uh, he's he's easily the worst I, player of the four, but I'm inclined to say Delvadova, and I hate Delvadova, so that's seconded. <laughs> um, I actually think of those four, I kind of think Batum makes the least sense, just because. With the whole Yana situation, you know, I, I guess I don't, you know, Batum can shoot from the outside for sure. I guess I just don't, I can't picture the fit so much. Jordan described Yanis as this way, way back. And it, <laughs> it caused some unrest among books fans. But yeah. this might have been last summer and we were talking about, like, what's Yanis real ceiling or what's he going to become? And Jordan said, well, even if he doesn't really pan out, he'll be sort of like Nicholas Batum. As in a really good, really good NBA rotation player. Mm. And I don't think that was half as insulting as many people took it as at the time, although thankfully he looks like he's going to be much better. But that comparison stands up as in, I don't know if there is room for two of those guys in the team. Right, right. I think we actually, I just talked about it on Twitter. That's a shamelessly plugged by Twitter, but I said <laughs> Batum is a Batum is a toned down version of Giannis who wears a beret. So. I was unfortunately, I think, included in the mentions of that yeah, I you were. <laughs> I didn't hear any response. I, I had the misfortune <laughs> of having to read that in real time. Um, and hear it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't, I don't particularly like any of those four guys and not as in I don't like them because I think all four could potentially do really good things with the books but combination of price first and foremost I think Grills treat them out and then real the long term <laughs> real long term no I I mean Delvadova could give the books a lot of what they need but he's in a nice little situation where I don't think anyone's going to really rush out and overpay him. And mm. if the Cavs want to pay him longer term, and he can just sort of hang out with his much more talented friends 
get really good minutes and possibly contend in Cleveland. Why is he going to leave? Yeah, I don't see. Yeah. The, the next one comes from uh, Tyler Petri, 1345. Who is a better pick for the books? Denzel Valentine or Jakob Poodle? Oh, boy. I'm going to say Denzel just because I I think he's a very, very smart player. Not that, not knocking, not, or knocking, that's not a word. Not knocking uh, Jakob. <laughs> <laughs> Explosive knocking, major cat. Um, yeah. uh, I knocking. Oh, jeez, I did it again. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, this podcast is officially just, called I, Episode sorry. 52: Explosive Knocking. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. I, I just no, no. It's it's my fault. Um, he's he's just a really smart player. I like I like the decisions that he makes. And, and Senator from Utah, because I'm not going to go back into trying to butcher his name. He, not that I haven't seen that from him, uh, or I should say, not, not that he's not capable of it, but I, I guess I haven't seen that from him necessarily. So I, I really am in love with Denzel's game. is is brilliant from shooting outside, makes the right play. Uh, concerns would be for him defensively, uh, which actually, I, ironically enough, um, with with the center, you you would get really good defense, but I'd still my my vote would be for Denzel. I have it's, I think it's more tougher for me because I see a scenario where Poodle can make uh, a longer impact for the Bucks. Plus, he's pretty pretty young. He you know he he has a good impact on both ends of the floor. Um, Denzel Valentine's definitely more ready now and. Because you know, he, he does so many things so, very well, but I wonder how can he overcome some of his weaknesses when he gets to the NBA? Like, can our team is going to trust him right away to put the hands as, or put the ball in his hands? Can he overcome you know faster, stronger you know athletes than him? I'm not so confident about it, but he definitely has a place in the league. I think. Poodle, I would probably edge out to Poodle because I think he will be a starter. I think Valentine could be a he could be a really good like role playing starter, but he's also I see him like a kind of like a six man ish, um, personally. But I think I would give the edge just to uh, Jakob Poodle. This is a really tough one. I at the moment I feel like there's more value to the books if. They really feel confident that Jakobutl can be the guy that they need, or if it's Scalabizier, whoever it is, if they feel there's a center in this draft class that they really like, they should go with them. If they feel like they have a starting center, a center who will allow them to trade Monroe away, create the cap space that if they want to re-sign Plumlee, they can do that and have money over with a rotation of your top 10 pick, who is hopefully your center of the future, and then Henson and Plumley, probably both tied down on good contracts that would have them there long-term, and they'd also be tradable. If they could do that, that's great. I think it solves a lot of their problems, saves money in the shorter term. 
Valentine's really interesting prospect. If the Bucks can find a starter and they can do so easily in this draft, someone they're really confident in, I think they've got to go that route. The question is whether they will be confident enough in someone who's on the board at 10 to say that, because otherwise then it's, well, what do we do? Do we trade the pick? We've talked previous weeks about trading down. It's definitely something I think quite a few people seem to feel. If you could get multiple picks in the middle of this round, it would do a lot more for your roster, possibly short and long term, than maybe a pick in the 10, 11, 12 range that the books find themselves in. So uh, it's a tough one. I'm not really making an answer either way. I think if the books were <laughs> sold on Poodle or any center for that matter, and I'm not necessarily sold on him or I'm definitely not sold on Scalabizier, but if they see a guy and they feel he is the guy, they have to have to make that selection. And it could solve a lot of their problems for the summer, a lot of the big decisions to be made in a hurry. So definitely something to look at. Um, yeah. Next question, another interesting question um, from at, once again, I, I never know how to say this, but I'm going to go what I've got with last week, at Katan Moo. Um, would you rather have Clay Thompson and Gorgie Jang are Carl Anthony Towns and Conley on the books. I feel like there's one one of these two pairings is much better, but I know personally maybe it's because I love Gorgie Jang and I've been calling for the books to find a way to get Gorgie Jang from when he was the fourth choice center in Minnesota and when he probably would have entertained offers for him. And uh, that never happened. But I think what Clay Thompson brings, and then Jeng, if Jeng was the center, I, that would solve so many problems. I'd lean that way, although Carl Anthony Towns is probably going to be the next great player in the league. But with the current group, yeah. Conley and Towns added into it, there's a lot going on there. Um, Thompson and Gorgie Dang will be really nice complementary pieces. Yeah, I, my vote actually would be Carl uh, Anthony Towns, j- just based on on who he is and what I've seen him do already, and and I, he's still just figuring it out. You know, I, I still don't think he's reached his potential, which is scary for us going forward, uh, because I'm sure if the Timberwolves are smart, they'll keep him locked up in Minnesota for a long, long time. But I, yeah, he's he's some kind of special, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think it's personally. I don't think it's close. Uh, with between the two, as good as much as I like Jang and Clay, Cat, Carl, think I mean it was it wasn't insane to think that he was a first team All NBA player this year, just because of how well he did. Um, so yeah. To clarify, I don't think it's close either, but I just can't answer the other one because I feel like it's so impossible. Yeah. Oh yeah. There might yeah. be there might be a universe. This is very impossible. <laughs> there might be a universe where Gorgie Jang could be a book and maybe even famed Milwaukee hater Clay Thompson. Oh, Squidward's yeah. <laughs> <Squidward> house. <laughs> house. I forgot about that one. Uh, uh, Carl Anthony Towns and Connolly, I don't think they could get either of those guys without sort of giving up the farm. And I don't think even that would be enough. 
So I'll go Thompson and Jang in the hope that it's plausible, and if that happens, that would be very nice. <laughs> Um, I'm going to sort of pick and choose questions here, and we'll carry the other ones over till next week because we got a lot of them this week. And um, this one from at Metastic, MCW is given five attempts to make a half court shot. If he makes it, he can immediately <laughs> sign with whomever he wishes. But if he doesn't make any, he has to finish his career on the bench for the books. Does he take the challenge, and does he succeed? <laughs> Yes and no. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, certainly will take the challenge. Yeah, I, I think he'd back himself for sure. Yeah. I don't. Five attempts is that's a, quite a few attempts. Yeah. He did make it. I think he, he might, did make, he might make it. He this this season. He might make it if. If David Dunn is listening to this, I apologize because I know he'd be offended at the notion of Michael Carter Williams making any shot. But he might make it. Um, let's see. You know, we'll go we'll go to David Dunn. From at David Dunn twenty one. I'll need both of you guys to weigh in on this one because as an outsider in this world of Wisconsin sports, I don't know if I can have any sort of strong opinion on this. David's question. A genie approaches you with a proposition. The Bucks will win a title by 2020, but first the Cubs and the Bears both win titles. Do you, do you take that proposition? Yes. Without hesitation, I will take that. Absolutely. Without Yeah, without hesitation. I'm not a big... I'm not a big Cubs hater, Bears hater. I I just want the Bucks to win. <laughs> I feel like the Bucks winning is so rare. I don't know why I said I feel like it is so rare. It's like, and it's been such a for a franchise that really I think this gets downplayed. Had such a strong start. Like really, when you look at obviously the early title, but then. How the team was able to continue and go from strength to strength, strength from strength to strength. There we go. I've joined in now. Uh, throughout the seventies, early eighties, it's been a bit of a drought since then. <laughs> they really overcompensated. I mean, they just front loaded everything. And they just, they uh, did. There was the brief big tree of the early two thousands, but it's been grim otherwise. So yeah, yeah. Okay, that's. Two big yes. yeses to, to a book's title. <laughs> um, let's see. This one, one of many from Alex underscore Koenig, 0-2-3. Will Yanis ever be able to guard the opponent's point guard? Oh, boy. I, I, don't th I think he w is. I just think under the current regime, they don't want him doing that. I think that's more of the bigger thing than anything. Yeah, I'll say probably as it, he should be able to as good as anybody with a different skill set and just the ridiculous length that he has. But I mean, if you're, you know, if you're, if the question I guess is shaded more towards, is he going to be able to like lock down like a Steph Curry or Russell Westbrook? No, 
because nobody can, you know. It, mm-hmm. So, but I mean, as far as you know, just guarding and doing a good job, putting forth a, a good effort, it, yeah, I, I, I don't see why not. I think the only problem with this is going to be, it seems like the point guard position has gotten smaller and is about to get smaller again, maybe as years go on. It's like when you see the impact that Curry has, that's going to extend beyond sort of the three-point revolution. His size as a point guard will factor into it, but then you also have to look at Isaiah Thomas. It's like when you see what he does as a guy who was the 60th pick in his draft class is 5'9". It's like that's where Giannis is going to have some difficulties. It's too easy to say, well, he close off a lot of passing lanes with his wingspan and things like that. With that sort of legitimate size difference, it just gets a little bit tricky. Sure, he might be able to chase him down and block a shot a lot easier, but there's advantages in speed big time there, and it'll be tricky. He could definitely possibly do it. I think you're both right. There's not... He's a good enough defender that I think you could put him on any spot, and he's not going to be found out sort of any sort of over-the-top way, uh, but it's definitely not ideal. I, I understand why they're not going to make him the point guard on both ends of the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, next one from Alex underscore Koenig, 3 Will Ty Windish ever be able to get Johnny O'Brien on the podcast? Hashtag TWT. I think... <laughs> Johnny O'Brien might have a lot of free time on his hands next year. Oh. <laughs> I mean, if if Ty can navigate the time difference with China, it's definitely a possibility. Oh, oh man. man. <laughs> I'm on, for, for the record, I'm only saying that to annoy Ty. <laughs> I'm, I'm making the assumption that he's going to listen to this. There's no way he's going to listen to this. But no. just in case... <laughs> You say this might ruin his prospects of getting J-O-B by saying he might be in China. You're right. There's probably a, a better chance that J-O-B is listening to this than Ty is. <laughs> I, I, hey, I'd, I'd bet on it. I'd put money down. Next one from Alex underscore Canadian Series 3. This is one that I wouldn't have asked, only I feel like Jordan is going to have an opinion on this. What do you think Yana's favorite song is? My money is on Pocketful of Sunshine by Natasha Bedingfield. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. No. Pocketful of Sunshine? I haven't heard the name of Natasha Bedingfield in a fortnight. Uh, uh, favorite song? Is there? A, I'm trying to think of a Greek artist. Is there a Greek artist? Yeah, but we don't know them. No. We have to ask. We have to ask Georgie. I actually think he he does like Greek music. I think he's spoken about this before. Yeah. There was there was someone though. There was some there's some rapper he was really into as a rookie, wasn't there? Wasn't there someone he discovered and he really liked? Uh, I have no clue. I'm also trying to think of who Yanis did his uh, lip-syncing to. Um, There's Bieber. Oh, he loves Justin Bieber. He does. Yeah. That's There's unfortunate. A, he's a believer. 
It's, it's a Justin Bieber song. I don't know what to tell you, Alex. Um, let's see. What else have we got? Have we heard anything? This is from Alex again. You can all assume questions from this point on are from Alex Kane. <laughs> have we heard anything recently about Kid's hip? Will he be back to 100% for the start of training camp next year? When I saw this one, I sort of said to myself, well, I kind of assumed he was back to 100% now. I mean, they haven't said anything. And that's when it hit me. They haven't said anything. And we all know what happens when the books don't say anything about people's health. (laughs) They're they're falling downstairs. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I honestly don't know. I think he's 100%. I haven't heard otherwise. Um... Another kid question. How badly do the books have to start next year, win loss wise, to get kid fired? How realistic is it that he isn't re signed? Good question. I don't think they ever. They're not going to ever save. Don't say ever. Don't, don't say ever, Jordan. Come on. I'm inclined to say ever, but. <laughs> Uh, really is it never I say never at Justin Bieber song? That is also a and it's a movie. Oh, a there movie. you go. Maybe that's Yana's favorite song. Yeah, a movie. Um, <laughs> um, that might be Fat Creek Wedding, though. <laughs> Windex. Um, realistic, realistic resign because we talked this last week in. Uh, it's, I didn't. I I just don't see why they would commit to him right away. Other than you want to have a coach and continuity, all this stuff. On in, on paper, that works. But I think it's going to happen. I think I think it's more than likely going to happen. I would probably say ninety percent that they're going to resign him this summer. Um, this summer. I think it's going to happen this summer. 90% this summer. Wow. Yeah. They, I mean, they basically said it, didn't they? Yeah, but, I mean... Are we putting that much weight in that? <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think it would be the most moronic decision possible to re-sign him this summer. There's, there's no reason to do it this summer. <laughs> There is no reason, but... I said this last week. <laughs> not not to repeat myself. Nobody wants them. There's, <laughs> there's, no, there's no bidding war about to start over Jason Kidd that you need to tie him down. I mean, you can let him see out the contract and extend them late next season, just as the season finishes. There isn't a team who's just about to come and poach Jason Kidd away. So... I don't see why you do it. He hasn't done enough to make himself like the hot young coach that every team is going to want to get if you don't tie him up. So, I, please, please don't re-sign him this summer. <laughs> make him prove it. Give him a contract year. Yeah. Let him separate himself from contract year OJ Mayo. <laughs> 
Have we any? Just, is anyone going to touch the win losses? How bad would they have to start to get him fired? Uh, oh boy. Um, I think they'd have to go defeated in order for them to realistically think about firing. Firing. Oh, one eighty-two. I don't just just based on like the uh, exit interviews. It didn't, you know, reading into things a little bit, but it didn't seem like there was overwhelming support. You know what I mean? I mean, they didn't like go out and like talk badly about him. But I don't know. Some of the comments could have been read by like, we're not getting the greatest leadership here, (laughs) type thing. So. I don't know. You know, it might be one of those behind-the-scenes things that, like, if if you know the talk gets louder, that like, yo, you gotta, you gotta get this guy out of here. They go ahead and pull the trigger. You know, I, I don't know. Or maybe they they give support for Prunty and say, make him the guy because we we like the way things go under him. I I don't know. You're pitching the dream there, Mike. <laughs> um. I I like to think, and I hope I won't be proven wrong, that this ownership group is very, very smart and very, very aware of, I guess, what the perception is. And they sort of take what the fan base wants or what they're thinking into consideration a little bit. No ownership is going to completely buy in on that. Mm-hmm. To that point, I think they are very positive about him. The ownership themselves, like the interview they did before the Pacers game with Jim Paschke, they had nothing but good to say about him, really. And let's Mm. be honest, even if they don't feel that way, I'm glad that they work in that way and not in the Bulls, Jimmy Butler sort of fashion where (laughs) they go out and sort of slate him and then it's like he's still the coach. That, That sort of thing would be strange. Um, there's there's a big a big part of all of this. The only reason all this has come together is because there is there's a personal connection between one of the owners and Jason Kidd. At the same time, I think it would be wrong to say that that would have any bearing on longer term decisions. I think if things got really bad, the ownership are self aware enough to know okay. We've gotta we've gotta put a stop to this or we've gotta still focus on getting the winning product that we paid all that money. I mean this isn't just an ownership that have come in and bought the team. They're building a new arena, so they're not sort of in and out in a hurry with this one. They're in it for the long haul and I don't think just over any sort of personal relationships they're gonna make a decision. I I think if they start a bad next year it could happen. I, yeah, and you're definitely right, Mike. Exit interview-wise, players didn't sound like a ring endorsement. Um, John Hammond, as we talked about last week, was... Hammond. Yeah, Hammond, as kid calls him. <laughs> um, was, he tried his hardest, but he wasn't the most convincing on his endorsement. Well, they have a great business relationship and a great social relationship. I mean... It's, it's, it's a wonderful a, thing. Yeah, that's exactly what you want. <laughs> you you can't ask for more than a great business relationship and a great social relationship. I mean, that's they, that means everything is perfect. It's no reason to worry. Two birds with one stone. There you go. Yeah. We've got two more questions. 
Oh, from Alex Koenig. In the past, you've said how Jabari and Yanis are part of the future, as in could be traded for a piece to win. Do you still see it that way, or do you feel they're pretty much untouchable at this point? Would you consider Middleton on this hypothetical untouchable list as well? Um, I don't... I don't think we ever quite said it like this. If I say we, I have a feeling it was probably me who said something along these lines. They're the most valuable assets the franchise has. They shouldn't be shopping them. But there's always that way where if a more valuable asset comes along, say maybe Carl Anthony Towns, not going to happen, but yeah, you'd consider it. And in that sense, they're part of the future regardless and have been for a long time. If they aren't the future themselves, they're probably the key pieces that would give the books a better chance at it. So I'd go along with it in that way. I think Yanis is about as close to untouchable. I mean, there are probably still two or three players in the league that the books would trade him for. But I'd say he's pretty close to untouchable. Yeah. Jabari is not untouchable, but I don't think they're going to be very willing to trade him now. Hmm. I thought Middleton are untouchable. It's just... I agree. Yeah. You go, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess just, just the thought that I think probably kind of just the public perception of untouchable is that somebody brings up the name and the other guy hangs up the phone. <laughs> Just like, ah, oh, shut up, and they hang up the phone. Um, I think if a general manager is doing his job, he listens to every offer, but it's just whether you take it seriously or not and be like, okay, you, you want honest, give us Steph Curry. You know, and then, and then the other guy probably hangs up the phone. But, I mean, like, it's just it's who you place a higher value on. So you should be listening to all offers, sure, but at the end of the day, like, who are you happy with? For me, I'm happy with all three of those guys, Giannis, Jabari, and Middleton. I, I love them on my team. Agreed. Couldn't have said it better. Final question. Who is the ideal duo to pair with Giannis, Jabari, Middleton? Are they on the roster? Can they be found in free agency? Or are they in the draft? very, very big question to sort of narrow down and tie down. Maybe even if we we get it to player types. Mm. Like, I think even from the list we talked about earlier, maybe it isn't exactly how everyone sees it, but I think the three of us are all agreed on a strong defensive center Mm -hmm. is probably the ideal fit at that position. When we're talking about guys like Biombo and Jan Mahinmi, guys of that nature, that's that's sort of pretty apparent. That's what we see there. The other spot is the tricky one, and maybe even for the books, to figure out exactly what they want there will be the challenge. What way are you guys leaning at the moment? Are you leaning more point guard or wing who can defend point guards? Hmm. So center isn't an option in this? Because I, I guess like for me, my, my highest priority would be a defensive center 
you know, one that communicates and kind of runs the defense. That, to me, I think is the biggest thing that this team is lacking right now. Oh, yeah, definitely. So this is – so he's looking for the ideal duo to pair alongside him. So if we're all agreed on defensive center, what oh, okay. what's, okay. what's the other player type you want to add to this roster? A healthy George Hill would be – that would be beautiful to me. I I agree with George Hill. I would also say a uh, kind of more def- George Hill is a very good defensive player. That's, I, this sounds like a real slight him, but I feel like a kind of in your face bulldogish kind of point guard. Uh, mm-hmm. This is just coming to mind because of his game yesterday. But Marcus Smart, I've always liked Marcus uh. Smart. I know. I'm sorry, Adam, but <laughs> I, I I think he would be. I think he'd be a good fan of this team. I'm I'm out. If Marcus Smart ends up here, I'm out. I can't. <laughs> I, I, I no, wait, which which one would you rather have for have? Adam Rubio Adam or Adam Smart? Adam. Or sorry, who who did you say? Ruby or Smart? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> The disgust in your like, that's That is literally what Pick Your Poison was made for. That's like... <laughs> no, is the answer. I can't. <laughs> Come on. I'll, I'll just lie on the floor and curl up in a ball. If that's yeah. it. There are my two options. That's the option I'm taking. I'm just quitting on life. No. Um, <laughs> I can't put into words my hatred for Marcus Smart. Um, I obviously have biased reasons for that at the moment, but at the same time, he's so he's so dirty. He's such a cheat. It's like the flopping is like so out of control compared to anyone. His energy is great, but at the same time, like the thing is his game yesterday, those shots he made. He has no right to make them. This is a big reason for why I hate them because he's chosen now to make them. But he would have no right to make those shots, Marcus Smart. What was that, Jordan? I say he rises to the occasion. Well, I'd rather if he didn't. If he could rise to that occasion somewhere else, that would be great. Not in Milwaukee. Um. <laughs> All right, Adam, I'll tell him to do something because I'm watching him play right now. Is if we could get Steven Adams, like like Oklahoma oh. City just sells him on the cheap, but we had to take Marcus Smart. Do you do that deal? <laughs> no, no, I'll take some oh, other center. I love Steven Adams. But no. I got excited for a second, and then, then you tried to trick me into it. <laughs> it's a Trojan horse. I, I think I think I told everyone about uh, Stephen Adams' mustache wax last week. Uh, yeah. The latest update on that is it hasn't arrived yet. So oh, come on. I, you... Yeah, I mean it's coming from. Why does every? Well, that's true. Yeah. That's the reason why, Jordan. It has a bit of yeah. ground to cover to get to me. Um, has to go across the Atlantic. But uh, they did only ship it yesterday. I'm assuming there was really strong demand. I don't know, maybe they were so run off their feet with orders for Stephen Adams' mustache wax. But I will, I'll update when it arrives. Hopefully it goes better than 
Hashtag Grievous Vasquez yes went. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll update you on that one. I'd, I'd love Stephen Adams. I'm out if Marcus Smart is any part of this. Stephen Adams and George Hill is... That's about perfect. Let's, yeah. raise, let's raise the multiple banners now. <laughs> <laughs> if they do that, I think I'd have to move to Milwaukee. If that's, that's what George Hill and Stephen Adams would do. Don't hold me to that, people, but I'm just going to put it out there as a reckless statement. If that happens, I'll move to Milwaukee. <laughs> that's it for this week. Uh, I don't think we've anything else to cover for now. Uh, make sure to keep an eye out for all of the awards and sort of end of season wrap up related pieces there will be much more of my thoughts Jordan's thoughts, Mike's thoughts and the rest of the staff you'll get a taste probably throughout that whole process of the terrible decisions many of us made in our ballots as I said we'll all be held accountable Mike might have got off the hook because we got his out of the way tonight um Otherwise, watch out for Time Out with Ty. There may or may not be something special coming. Mm. Keep checking out all of our stuff on site. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher. And we'll be back next week. Thanks very much, guys. <laughs>